my dad was one of those like corporate, corporate people. He's like really smart, really driven. It's like you go to school to get a great job, to climb the corporate ladder so that one day you can maybe enjoy it. He was a chemical engineer, really driven, really smart, and always like looking for the next promotion, the next goal, and so that he could like enjoy a great retirement one day. And then, you know, at 47 years old, went to sleep, didn't wake up the next morning. So when that happened, I was kind of like, yeah, crap, <laughs> you know? Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I'm grateful to have Nicole Morong of Peterkin Financial. Nicole is a certified financial planner. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Nicole, you're a CFP. What is that? It stands for Certified Financial Planner. A certified financial planner can do anything, uh, right? Just because you're a certified financial planner doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving financial advice. You could still just sell insurance or manage investments or do um, some other kind of financial thing, but in becoming a certified financial planner, you it's basically like passing the bar to be a financial planner. So you learn a lot about comprehensive financial planning. You learn about planning for business owners, insurance planning, tax planning, all of the kind of areas of financial planning. And in doing so, it's kind of hard to not look at your client situation comprehensively. You at least have like a robust spectrum of financial knowledge and you pass some tests um that attests to to that that you have like a broad base of knowledge in the financial industry so that's what it so is you're, so you're the quarterback you're the one who knows all about their finances and help guide them to have success in the future yeah exactly cool so let me ask you this how did you decide that's what you wanted to do for a living uh, my dad died really young. Um, I was in college. He just went to sleep one night, didn't wake up the next morning. Um, and my dad was one of those like corporate, corporate people. He's like really smart, really driven. It's like you go to school to get a great job to, you know, climb the corporate ladder so that one day you can maybe enjoy it. Um, so he was a chemical engineer, really driven, really smart, and always like looking for the next promotion, the next goal, and so that he could like enjoy a great retirement one day. And then, you know, at 47 years old, went to sleep, didn't wake up the next morning. So uh, when that happened, I was kind of like, yeah, crap, <laughs> you know? Um, how is that even possible? You know, like your brain just breaks. And I, it caused me to reevaluate everything. Um, and in helping my mom through, you know, looking through the finances of the family and trying to figure out like, can we pay the mortgage? What's going on with my dad's investments, all of that kind of thing. I kind of realized that my dad was super professionally successful, but his like financial acumen didn't match his professional success. I think he's one of those guys who just like thought he was smart enough to do everything by himself probably didn't feel like he had a lot of extra money to be able to hire somebody with four kids um and you know the big house and a nice neighborhood and like all of those like things that people do right and the saving for retirement and all of that um so looking at his finances I was like wow you know 
how much more like time could we have spent as a family? How many more like soccer games and track meets could my dad have gone to while he was alive if he was doing like more of the right things with his money and his money was working harder for him instead of him like hopping on planes to, you know, go travel for the, you know, um, go on the next business trip or, you know, climb the next corporate tier. Um, so I just, I reevaluated my career path and decided to help other smart people make better choices with their money. That's, that's a lot, first of all. So how old were you? 20? Yeah, I was like 20 or 21. Thrown into a situation that's challenging enough as it is with respect to your loss, your recent loss, but your mom was leaning on you for help. What were you, what were you majoring in at that time? I was pre-med. So I was taking all like the bio, organic chemistry, all of that kind of stuff. I always, uh, whenever I speak, I always like tell the joke that um, in my family, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a loser. <laughs> so like you don't have many choices for future career paths. Um, yeah, so I mean, me helping my mom was more of a factor of um, my mom and dad met really, really young. There was like the traditional division of responsibilities. My mom did like, packed the lunches and did the house stuff and whatever. And my dad managed the money. They both worked. Um, but my mom just kind of like deposited her paycheck into the joint bank account. And my dad handled everything. And so my mom was kind of like, you know, my dad passed away and my mom was like, I only make 150 K a year. Like, can we afford the mortgage? I don't know if that's a lot. Like it was that kind of thing. Like oh. no concept of like what people make, what things cost, like what is a mortgage? Um, so she was coming to her daughter who's like in college and smart and saying like, help me, I'm learning too, but maybe we can do this together. Yeah. So. While you're taking anatomy, physiology, but so do you think it was more your father controlling or your mother not necessarily wanting to have that responsibility? Because I think that probably comes into play a lot when you're sitting down with a couple, right? The whole you know, the whole relationship, the whole psychology of, you know, who was raised with open dialogue at the dinner table and who said, you know, who sat down at the table and be seen, not heard, and don't bother about the finances, you know, don't even ask, right? So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was a matter of like my dad controlling things. Like, I don't know. He did control things like with the finances, yeah. but I think it was more that my mom wasn't really interested yeah. in that. Um, Do you find that with a lot of couples that one is more, you know, like, okay, I got this role. I'll handle the finances. And yeah. the other one concedes, but yet the one who says, I'll take this wheel doesn't really know how to drive. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. It's just because like, one spouse taking the reins with the finances doesn't mean that that person is like better equipped or really knows what they're doing. It's almost just like, okay, I'm better at this or I'm less intimidated by it, or it's just easier for me to do it. I make more money. I pay more of the bills, whatever the case may be. It usually tends to be that. And then that person is kind of just like, okay, well, you know, I might only be a first grader when it comes to like knowing what's going on with the finances, but you're a preschooler. So uh, I guess I got it. And there's no, you know, is there a lot of ego around that? Because, you know, what people don't know, they kind of fake or they kind of bluff 
sometimes. Oh yeah, sometimes. I mean, um, it's funny. I, so I've been in business for about 11 years and early on, um, I think this is common with many like financial people. This is probably common in any industry, but like early on, you'll do business with whoever wants to work with you, right? So part of that is like, if somebody comes to me and says like, hey, I want to work with you. Um, my husband's not interested in that stuff. I'm just going to work with you. Then I would say like, sure, no problem. Uh, and then, you know, you go through a couple of years of like what people call like one-legged meetings, like one half of the decision-making team. Um, and it's just really ineffective, right? You really can't do much. Nobody can make, when you're part of a couple and you're doing money together, even if one person is driving the bus, you can't just take like 50K or 100K and like do something with it without like running it by the other person typically, right? So um, so now, you know, probably for the last seven years, I will not meet with somebody unless their spouse is there at the preliminary meeting. The spouse has to at least be there at one meeting a year. They have to like be involved in like co-creating like the financial vision, right? They have to be on board with like, these are our values around money. These are our goals around money. There can be individual goals. There can be joint goals, but it's like you're both earning or you're both like, even if you're not both earning, you're both spending and you're both like working towards something together, um, ideally. Otherwise, that person's probably not a good client for me if like they literally don't talk to their spouse and don't have a relationship where they're working towards a shared financial future, right? Um, so now there's always both spouses involved. And if one person doesn't want to hire me, then I don't get hired, right? Um, so I think what I, what I learned when I first started meeting with couples jointly is that usually the wife would come to me and say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you about something. It could be something like a little, I want to buy Twitter stock or I want to do something. Yeah. Can we talk about this? And I'd say, ah, that's not how I work. I only do comprehensive financial planning. Your spouse has to be on board. You know, I'd start asking questions like, oh, like, what are you guys doing for retirement? What are you guys doing for whatever? Oh, I don't really know. My husband knows all that. Yep, that's why he needs to be part of this. Like, that's why he needs to be part of the initial meeting. Um, so the husband comes along and the husband kind of sheepishly like shows the 401k and it's like, yeah, like, I don't know if these are the right funds. Cause like now it's like me, the husband and the wife and I'm asking for like all of their financial documents, their tax returns, their retirement statements, they're all of that, their, their pay stubs. And the husband's kind of like, yeah, I think I did a pretty good job like picking what benefits were enrolled in, but like, this looks good to you too, right? <laughs> like, yeah. this is, you know, this is what I thought, is this the right thing? Cause I kind of just like closed my eyes and like picked what my friend who works in the cubicle next to me picked, like, is that good? And then like, you know what I mean? Like then yeah. the truth kind of comes out and they're usually a little sheepish, right? It's like, yeah, like I didn't really know what to do. Nobody taught me any of this stuff, but like, if this is a judgment-free zone, like, yeah, tell me if what I've been doing is right. Like tell yeah. me that I haven't been messing up my whole, you know, my family's financial well-being uh, with those decisions I made. Right. Tell me I haven't wasted the last 15 years of earning power and compounding interest. Please tell me, pretty please. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that you see that so very often because the other thing is, is, I mean, it's like going to the doctor, right? You're asking people to get stripped down naked and show you everything. And most likely their biggest insecurity or their biggest fears and stressors. Like, how do you, 
How do you handle that when somebody comes in and they're super anxious about money? I mean, the fact that they're there to begin with, right? Like the fact that they're at the meeting to begin with means that they had to overcome something. Like the hardest part is probably like picking up the phone or booking something on my calendar, right? Um, I usually do like an intro 20 minute call. That's just like a personality fit kind of thing. It's like, hey, I don't need any of your financial information. Just like, why did you reach out to me? And let's chit chat a little bit. Like, tell me what you think you need. What are your initial questions? That kind of thing. We basically like do a personality fit and I explain how I work. And I tell them like, in order for us to even talk about working together, you are going to have to gather all of your tax returns, pay stubs, benefits, booklets, mortgage statements, credit card statements, bank statements, like literally everything, everything, everything that can give me insight into what your financial situation looks like. You're going to have to share all of that with me before we even start working together. Like I need all of this for our consultation. So if you're not willing to get all of that stuff, then you can't hire me because for us to have like, for me to be able to say, yes, you can afford to work with me and it makes sense. Like, and the cost justifies the benefit um, from an ethical perspective, I need to know what's going on. And it can't just be like, yeah, yeah, I have this or I have that because most people don't know really what they have. They don't really understand like what they have. So that is, um, it, it's fascinating to me. Overall, how are people doing in their do-it-yourself model before they come see you? Is everybody failing or getting like a C minus maybe? I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of failing. I, I mean, I think- Great. I, I mean, if you were their teacher and they said they came in with their, their homework, their essay, their completed thesis, of what they've been doing before they met you. And, and take away the people who have been working with a financial advisor, they're disgruntled, not happy, and they wanna work with a CFP like you. And they've simply been doing it themselves, a little fidelity here, a little uh, you know, term life here, doing the best they can, but here you go, help me out. Yeah. I mean, so there's a big spectrum, right? Like there are people who like literally do have none, nothing. And they're coming to me because they're what I used to call the oh shit people. Yeah. Um, and those are people who it's like, you know, they start off, they're not making that much money. They start making a little bit more money. They get married. They have the kids. Now their kids are, you know, they get the kids out of daycare, but now there's all the, these other things. They need the bigger house, the whatever. And then all of a sudden, like their kids are in high school getting ready for college and they are like, oh shit. Yeah. One, how am I going to pay for this if I'm going to help them with college? And two, oh my God, in all the stuff I've been paying for and all the family vacations and everything else, like, how am I ever going to retire? Like, I'm getting tired. <laughs> like, how do I do this? I need to talk to somebody. So there's those people. And then there are people who have kind of just like been diligently saving and doing things along the way. And they might have, but might be doing a few of the right things, kind of coasting. And they always have this little like nagging at the back of their head. Like, I wonder if I'm really doing the right things. Like, I wonder if I really should have refinanced my mortgage. I wonder if I really should have bought the car instead of leased. I wonder if I really should have all this money in cash or all this money in my retirement account or if I picked the right things. And so both of those people, like the one who's done nothing and the one who's done a lot, like they might both have like 
neither one of them probably has a level 10 out of 10 like financial situation even if the second person has like two million bucks in the bank or like in their retirement accounts because i think part of what is required to really be optimized financially is to have a very clear picture of what your goals are and be tracking towards the goals and most people never really sit down to figure out like aside from saying i want to retire at 65 like they're never really getting granular with their goals. And a lot of times the goal is just like to have a pile of money and not so much like what that money is going to do for them. Like there's, there's not like the second step of, of the goal setting. And so, and I think it's because it's intimidating because it's like, if you put something on paper, when you don't really know how to get there, then you need to figure out how to get there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, it's staring me in the face and I don't really know where to start, but now I have a problem to solve. So if you don't put it down, there's no problem to solve. Um, that's so true. With think, all, that's true with all goal setting, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. So I think that that's part of it is like most people who come to me are like, I don't know, five out of 10 or seven out of 10 in terms of like financial, like their financial house being in order. And you're the Sherpa who can take them to their goals, right? Here's the path. Here's the way we do it. It's not that overwhelming. We can do this, but we have to be diligent. And how often do you meet with those people once you've created a plan for them, a goal? Um, it depends. So I meet with all of my clients at least three times a year uh, in what I call core meetings. I send like an email and say, you know, it says like, it's time to book your core meeting during this window. And then they book and we see each other face to face. And I usually have an agenda of things that I want to make sure to talk about that's timely. So it's like end of the year, funding accounts, reviewing tax returns, like that kind of stuff, doing open enrollment. Um looking at their profit and loss and like updating projections and things like that. But how I work with clients is all my clients pay me an annual fee for advice, which is a little bit different than how other advisors work. So many of my clients have been like renewing with me year after year after year for like five plus years. And um, so they have unlimited access to me. I only work with about 50 clients a year and my clients who pay me have unlimited access to me so they can shoot me a text, email me, get on the phone with me. They can always book time on my calendar so that as they have like timely things happening, like I just had a client on Sunday text me and say like, oh my God, I found a camper van that I want to buy. Uh, where should I get the money from? Can I afford this? Should I finance it? Should I use cash? Like, cool, I'm there. Like, it's not your normal relationship, your normal financial planning relationship. So let me ask you this. This is this is intriguing to me. Um, so I saw online you share your story. So would love to hear what you're doing with your goals and your finances. Oh, cool. So when I started out, it was about working with helping people use their money to achieve their ideal life, right? But it was more like W-2 employee people. It was people who like have a good job, they're making money, they want to know the right things to do with it. And as I like moved forward in my business, I started getting clients who like they, one spouse was corporate and one spouse was a small business owner. And I'd always see that like the small business client, even if they had like more revenue than the spouse uh, and like their business seemed to be like more successful from like a cash flow perspective than their spouse's W-2 job, the family like never really relies on the cash flow from the business. Like they do kind of rely on it. Like they would be hurting if it wasn't there, but 
really and truly, it's the W-2 person's like consistent paycheck, bi-weekly or weekly. It's their health insurance benefits. It's the fact that they have a 401k. It's all of those things that like trap, if they don't like their job, trap the corporate spouse. So the non-corporate spouse like is making all this money in their business. They're like, you know, they're struggling in the beginning and then they're making, you know, 80,000. Then they're making 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000. And you're like, I'm sitting there saying, oh, great. Like, okay, based on your goals, we can just get the small business client to start funding, you know, every month or every quarter this much money. And like their face just falls because they're like, yeah, but you know, I have these business expenses. I don't know if I'm going to get that client the next month. And there's always this like, yeah, my income's not consistent. So like, we really can't rely on it. So if our goals, if us buying this big, this next house that we want is reliant on me and on my business, we can't buy it. It's like not in so many words, but that's exactly like the vibe. That's what ended up like being said. And so I'm sitting here and I, I can kind of, sympathize, empathize with the small business client, because guess what? I'm a small business too, right? And um, I would just be thinking like, oh my God, yeah, like I'm doing okay on my own, but then like I met my now husband and we were doing money together and I found that the exact same thing was happening. Is like, I made significantly more than him, but relying on his paycheck, increasing his 403B contributions, like all of those things. So I am one of those people who just like, I'm an achiever, if you haven't been able to tell from yep, this conversation so far. Yep. Um, and if I was working corporate, I would be the person who was maxing out their 401k and doing all the right things. So not doing all the right things in my business when like I have all the financial knowledge and acumen of like where to invest, how to invest, what to do, like really would frustrate the shit out of me. And so I, about seven years ago, I started like thinking I really need to get serious about like actualizing my own financial plan and making sure that like, if one day, whatever that day is, I don't want to sell my business or I don't want to work till I'm 70 or I don't want to do these things. I can just like put a sign on my door and be like, retired, like gone fishing, what's going on. But instead of going from like zero to 100, I started like writing down my goals so some of my specific goals back then, I was like putting myself through my own financial planning process basically as a small business. Cool. So I started like working through what are the processes that I need to do to actually be able to treat my business like I was getting a stable paycheck. Like how do I create, how do I make my business a job from like a financial standpoint so that I have that financial security and stability. So I wrote all these goals like, you know, I wanted to retire my husband who wasn't my husband then, but he was teaching, starting to get burnt out. And like, I, so I wrote like, make it so that Bobby only works because he wants to, not because he has to. One of my goals was to be able to like be bi-coastal. So like have a house in California and a house in Boston. Part of the bi-coastal goal, like digging into that was like, I want to be able to have the money so I can buy a plane ticket to be able to fly across the country and back whenever I want, build two business, like build businesses on both coasts if I feel like it. It was like a freedom kind of thing. So I really dug into my, my own goals, wrote them down and started trying to build a system for that to happen and started like over time, over the first couple of years of that, like basically stuck my husband's paycheck into a bank account and like pretended to live off of one income for a while just to see if we could do it. 
anyway, fast forward, I ended up building a system that worked and at 33, I'm 33 now, um, was able to retire my husband from teaching. We moved across the country. We were able to like actualize all of our financial goals for like the last five years. We've been living in California for at least two or three months out of every year and living in Boston for the rest of the time. So it was kind of like, okay, if I am trying to hold my small business clients accountable to actually actualize their goals and to have financial security and to be able to do like crazy awesome things, I need to be able to do that myself. So I've spent literally the last five years trying to do that and finally achieved it. So now like I'm still working with one to, with one-on-one clients and I love my one-on-one client work, but what lights me up lately is um, teaching other small business, like service-based entrepreneurs, how to do what I did. Like, how do you retire your husband by 40? How do you make sure that whatever your financial goals are, are actually achieved using your business, like using your business revenue to fund that ideal life and keep more of what you're earning without having to like take on another client or another client or another client and give up your time. Um, So that's what I'm working on now. I built this program called Next Level Profits um, about a year and a half ago and ran it, ran a cohort of eight entrepreneurs um, over the course of a year to like help them start to like figure out how to apply what I learned to apply my process to like their business finances and their personal finances so that they could keep more of what they're earning. And that was really successful. So um, I'm going to be running that again two more times um, this year. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like people don't talk enough about the fact that everyone thinks business owners are made out of money, that anyone who's self-employed is made out of money. It's like, yeah, they control more of the money. They can, they have more money running through their fingertips, but they usually don't actually have more. Like they don't keep more than the average person usually, um, not from lack of trying, but. Um, isn't that isn't that funny, right? You look at your tax return, you're like, I don't feel like I made that. Oh, you didn't. You didn't actually take much of that home. What's he doing <laughs> now that he's not teaching or not needing to teach, not being required to teach, I should say. Oh, yeah, he's a... Uh a recovering teacher starting a business. Um, So when my husband was teaching, he was an elementary school phys ed teacher and special ed teacher, and he taught for like 15 years. Um, And he was in a low-income school district and would have classes of like 78 kids at a time, like literally like 78, like kindergartners or first graders like running around untied shoes and so he used to do like shoe tying like lessons or units for his students and he was always trying to like develop a tool that he could use with them so they could tie their own shoes and keep it tied so he'd like use all different types types of materials to like make these products like make something to go on their shoes to keep their laces tied so fast forward we decide that or when he first um left teaching. And I said like, oh, you can be a stay-at-home dad. You can do whatever. He was like, maybe I'll try, like, maybe I'll try to develop that product. So he like went out and found a manufacturer, like made a website, built this brand. So he has this um, tool that he invented called training ties. And it's like training wheels for shoe tying. And it literally teaches kids how to tie their shoes, like by chunking the steps, but then also it keeps your shoes tied all day. So when I was pregnant, I would have them on my shoes because I didn't want to bend down and tie my laces right. ever. 
his parents who are both in their seventies, like have them on their shoes all the time. Like it's actually really cool. So yeah, that's what he's doing. He's trying what's to that, What's that product called? It's called training ties. Training ties. So is that found at trainingties.com? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. So tell me about this a little bit more though. So is this a coaching platform? Is this an online thing? How are you, how are you, um, working with these entrepreneurs? So I built a course. So it's a self-paced course that can be worked through. And alongside that, there are like monthly Q and A calls so that, um, my students in the membership were able to like show up, ask whatever specific questions they have, you know, show me the investment statement, show me your profit and loss, like get my eyes on your business and on your life. And um, that's kind of how it ran. So as we were getting the questions, I built like a question and answer bank. So now along with the course, there's also like frequently asked questions or like yeah. you can search a question bank if you have questions about like putting your kid on payroll or, you know, you know, how, what's the best way to invest the extra cash flow? Like, is it retirement? Is it college fund? Is it general investment? Like that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, there's still like a Q and A component. So did you do an official launch of that where it was open then closed? Mm -hmm. Are you doing that again? Yeah. So yes. I'm going to, my next launch for Next Level Profits is um, June 1st. So I'm going to open the doors to the program again, June 1st, close them June 15th, and then start this cohort um, July 1st. And so I'll run that this time. I'm going to run it for three months and then do it again. Like doors open December, you know, first two weeks of December, open the doors and then have a January 1st cohort too. Because I figure like, once you've gotten through the first half of the year, it's like, if you have a killer, so many people are like bouncing back from COVID, like the revenue is bouncing back from what we just dealt with, with the pandemic. And they're like making money again. They're up from last year. They're feeling like they're getting momentum. And it's like, okay, like, but what are you doing with it? Right? Like you're spending it. Yeah. Or are you on track to meet your goals? Um, so I think that midway through the year is a really good time to say like, hey, if you haven't met, met your financial goals or if you don't feel like you're on track financially or that you have the right systems in place, um, what better time to do it than now? Because you'll be all set for 2023. And if you're not ready now, then, you know, January 1st, usually people have momentum at the beginning of the year to like get their shit together after the holiday. <laughs> well, especially if you're, you're helping them set goals, right? I mean, that's the yeah. ideal time to be setting goals. So help me understand where you're going to be launching that on June 1st. Where would someone find that? Oh, okay. So you can go to getnextlevelprofits.com um, and sign up to join the wait list. And then when doors open, you'll get, a, you'll get emails, you'll get notifications that we're enrolling for the program. And what's your ideal class size? I don't know that there is an ideal size. I mean, my goal is to have 10 students this time. Um, if I had 25, that's still manageable. I think um, everyone kind of has the same questions. So what I was noticing on the calls with the last cohort um, is that somebody would ask a question about setting up a retirement accounts in their business. Like what's the right retirement account for their business? And in me answering that question for them, 
somebody else says like types in the chat box like oh yeah oh, I, have a, cool. I had that same question or you know what I mean or yeah. they'll say like oh but I have three employees not 10 does this still work for me or is there something better and so like the question and answer ends up being like really comprehensive like it sometimes we'll only have three questions in like an hour but we're like really digging deep in the questions and so my commitment to the cohort, and I'm going to continue this, is that we only have one question and answer session a month, but I will stay on the question and answer session as long as it takes to answer every single question. So if it takes two and a half hours, then it takes two and a half hours. So you will get all of your questions answered and can submit them in advance. So very, very cool. Okay. So I'm going to ask you one of the more important questions now, but I'm going to ask it to you in a two-prong way. So mm -hmm. what we like to ask people is once they've uh, sat down with you and they've scratched out a plan and the plan is put into effect and we're reaching goals and we're meeting every so often and they want to sit down and write a review what does that review look like but second prong is somebody goes through the course next level financial what are they going to say about the course so first one your small business your unique business, your boutique business of 50 clients. One of them sits down, they've been with you for three to five years, you ask them to do a review, what's it say? I mean, I think the main thing that I hear from my clients over and over again is that they're surprised like how judgment-free the advice is. Um, it's not always in those words, but it's like a wow, like, you know, with my old, with my old financial advisor, I always felt like I had to hide things or I always had to feel like I had to apologize for when I spent money or like I was getting in trouble or like that kind of thing. And with me, it's kind of like, it's your money. It's your goals. It's your life. So um, what I really strive to do is to help people understand the opportunity cost of their different financial decisions. So it's like, there's only so much money. I don't care what you spend the money on, but if you spend the money on this, you're not spending it on that, or you're not saving it on that, or you're not investing it on that. So I think what ends up happening is that because my clients really understand the implication of the different decisions they make, they really are like creating their own financial strategy and able to move more quickly towards their goals and reevaluate their goals. Um, so I think that a review from, you know, a one-on-one -on -one client would be, you know, Nikki gives, you know, no nonsense advice, she never passes judgment, always lets me, you know, work towards whatever goals are important to me, no matter how like non-financially savvy they might appear <laughs> from like the conventional advice. It's not conventional advice. And there's no question that I'm too intimidated to ask her because she always treats all of my questions like they're smart questions. Um, and I get the answers that I need to move forward. That's, that's amazing. I love that. How about the, the course? Somebody finishes the course, they complete the course in your cohort. What are they going to say? They're going to say, I have been trying to set up retirement savings, a, a tax strategy or like a weekly tax meeting, monthly tax meeting updates with my accountant, like better communication with my team since I've been in business or since I've been making money, I've been trying to do this. And I finally 
know what to talk about with my financial team. I finally have money in the bank. I finally have a system for understanding what I can spend on business expenses, what I can move to my personal accounts. I finally have profit in my business. And I finally have investment accounts that are funded and funded consistently. And I'm really happy that I feel like I'm moving forward and making progress with my balance sheet, with my financial balance sheets. And folks, again, that is going to be in the show notes, getnextlevel.com will be in the show notes. So when you hear this and you want to click and get on that list, do it. Now, Nikki, I heard you refer to yourself or what <laughs> one of your one of your one-on-ones refer to you as Nikki. Mm-hmm. Nikki, um, one of the things we like to do in podcasting is kind of getting people to get outside their comfort zone, right? You're coming on mm-hmm. this show, you're telling your story. <clears throat> but one of the one of the things we really enjoy for icebreakers and getting out of your comfort zone is karaoke. You ever done karaoke? Oh yeah, all the time. Really? Yeah, I love karaoke. You do. Okay. So what is your go-to karaoke song when it's your turn? Miley Cyrus Party in the USA. <laughs> really? Yeah, now do you it. sing that every single time or are you a skilled artist that you can go up there and sing multiple tunes? Oh, I'll sing whatever. I love it. I'm not but... embarrassed. My husband might be, but I'm not. <laughs> does, he, does he sing karaoke no but he'd no. be embarrassed when i do so nikki the most important question of all is somebody wants to work with you we've already heard that if somebody wants to join your course which is opening up on june 1st through the 15th for a, a july 1st start they would go to getnextlevel.com. but if someone wanted to get in touch with you what's the best way and what are some of the other ways well, um, I have a website. It is peterkinfinancial.com. And on my website, I have a calendar link. So if you want to book time for a chat, um, I offer discovery calls. Those are those 20 minute calls. That's to gauge personality fit. Um, you can book one of those right on my calendar uh, through my website. Um, so that is an easy way. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at Peterkin Financial on Instagram as well. Um, those are the two main ways to, to get in touch with me. I love it. I love it. Well, if you're interested, folks, get in touch, right? Check it out. Get involved. I love the stories of goal setting. I love all of what we talked about. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, this is fun. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidal. Securitidal helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidal, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. 
The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.